Welcome back to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III, and on today's episode, we will be discussing the 5G C-band interference issues that the aviation industry has been working through in recent months associated with radio or radar altimeters. Before we get into the interview with today's guest, I'd like to let our listeners know that unlike last year where we hosted a series of Connected Aviation Intelligence webcasts, we will be bringing back our Connected Aviation Intelligence Summit live in person at the Hyatt Regency Reston in Reston, Virginia, which is in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Registration for the event is now open. We've also placed the agenda on the website where you can view in more information about the event at gcasummit.com aviation intelligence. So on today's episode, I recently had the chance to catch up with David Witkowski, He's a senior member of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, or IEEE. He's also the founder and CEO of OKU Solutions, which provides professional support services to the wireless telecommunications industry. David's career began in the U.S. Coast Guard, where he led deployment and maintenance programs for mission-critical telecommunications, continuity of government, and data networking systems, He also had some experience there working on aircraft communication systems. And just to set the scene for this conversation, for those who are unaware, the Federal Aviation Administration here in the U.S., as well as the broader aviation industry, has been working through a series of policy and regulatory updates for commercial flight operations regarding the deployment of 5G C-band wireless network services. The FAA first started expressing concerns over possible interference issues that could occur with aircraft radio or radar altimeters because of the radio frequency band where the 5G C-band wireless network services currently being deployed and rolled out by AT&T and Verizon operate within. These networks operate within the 3.7 to 3.98 gigahertz frequency range, which is separated by just 220 megahertz from the 4.2 to 4.4 band where aircraft radio altimeters reside. Right now, the two sides of this issue and a number of engineers from the aviation and telecommunications industries are trying to find a long-term solutions that will allow flight operations and 5G C-band services to safely coexist. So let's get into our discussion with IEEE senior member, David Witkowski. So, David, first, for those in our audience who may be unaware, if you could just start with an introduction to your name, current job title, and role with IEEE, and how long you've been with the organization. Sure. Thanks, Woodrow, for the opportunity to be here. My name is David Witkowski. I'm the founder and CEO of Oku Solutions. I work with the IEEE in a couple of capacities. Um, one is just that I'm a co-chair of a working group at IEEE Future Networks. I'm also a senior member with the IEEE, and I am a life member of the Microwave Theory and Techniques Society. And just uh, curious, what type of uh, experience with the uh, working with the aviation industry? So I started my career in the U.S. military. Uh, I was actually in the U.S. Coast Guard and trained on both communication systems and on radar. Uh, and I uh, was in the uh, military for several years. I have uh, since then, I have uh, received my degree from University of California in electrical engineering, and I focused on microwave theory, RF design, 
communication systems. And so this current situation causes those two areas of focus to overlap. And, and I think uh, you know, I, I can see things from both sides of this debate. Uh, it's been interesting to watch this progress um, given my background. Yeah, that is interesting that you mentioned that. You know, you, you do have sort of the perfect background for this discussion we're going to have. So uh, as our listeners probably aware, uh, you know, it's been dominating the headlines, especially within aviation circles, uh, sort of this ongoing conflict that exists between the telecommunications or wireless industry and the aviation industry. Uh, it sort of happened by happenstance where, uh, you know, aircraft radar altimeters operate within a certain radio frequency spectrum and new 5G C-band services are coming into spectrum that is adjacent but not the same band as that. Uh, we here for uh, my publication Avionics International has been uh, covering this pretty intently. It's been one of our you know most viewed uh, articles and, and topics over the last month. So really excited we're able to catch up with David. And I want to start first, David, uh, you know, touching again on so your expertise and knowledge with just a background introduction to our audience with how does an aircraft radio art altimeter function? Uh, what are the different types of radio altimeters? And why are they ultimately, you know, how did they ultimately become vulnerable to these 5G C-band services? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, at, at its core, a radar altimeter is is essentially a radar that would be similar to anything used in a shipboard system or or perhaps even the speed guns that the highway patrol uses to catch you as you're maybe getting a little heavy footed as you go down the freeway. Um, you know, there are some elements of uh, the radar altimeters that are probably worth noting, uh, which is, is primarily that it is a modulated signal as opposed to a, what we would call in engineering a continuous wave signal. And, and the reason you do that is, is primarily because there could be certain frequencies that for whatever reason have interference in them and so as the signal moves back and forth in frequency uh, the radar altimeter uh, can effectively ignore those those blips in coverage and, and provides a better uh, a better sense for for the distance that that it is measuring uh, so in terms of how it's you know functioned i mean uh, obviously it's an antenna that's placed upon the airframe pointing down off the air off the airframe and as it moves over terrain, uh, it, it will report back as, as to how far away that terrain is. Uh, and as we, um, when we're, you know, talking about how it becomes vulnerable, a radar is really no different than any other radio receiver. Uh, and the challenge that we have is that radio receivers, if they're not designed carefully, can be susceptible to RF energy in adjacent bands. And this has in the past been handled by the fact that the radar altimeter band was isolated. Um, the band that C-band 5G is going into now used to be used for, and for some of our older listeners may remember those big satellite dishes that people would use for TV reception. Uh, back in the 80s, these were very popular. Uh, and you know, I still occasionally see them on the side of the road. Uh, the, that was where the that's where the C band is. And so, because the satellites were way up in space and the signals were very weak by the time they reached the ground, 
it wasn't there was no potential for interference. Uh, now, as you move into a world where we're placing transmitters that the plane may be flying over, um, the question then becomes is, will the radar altimeters pick up signals from those cell sites? And could they potentially cause problems? And that, that's the crux of the debate that we're having about this right now, is how do you determine whether or not that's a problem and how do you test to see whether or not the problem uh, is is real or are we just simply dealing with worst case scenarios and so as a follow-up to that you know if you've you know if again if you're in the aviation industry you listen to this podcast or you just you know consume aviation publications you've probably seen this uh issue covered as you know sort of 5g versus the aviation industry obviously what, what is interesting though is that there are several commercial airlines that have adopted uh, 5g enabled devices over the last year and actually made you know really big points of, of making sure that to highlight that they are 5g devices but one of the things that that i haven't seen covered as much is that you know y- yes this you have this radio frequency spectrum that exists 5G C-band is coming in in the 3.7 to 3.98 gigahertz frequency range. Aircraft radar altimeters operate within the 4.2 to 4.4 range. Um, But one thing that I haven't seen as much is people just break down how this radio frequency uh, spectrum works and how it's actually being used by altimeters as opposed to uh, you know, the new 5G C-band services. So can you, you know, just a little bit deeper dive into how the spectrum actually works and, you know, how it's being used by these two different uh, sources? Yeah, well, certainly for the radar altimeters, I, I imagine that your listeners are, are quite familiar with that. I mean, it's, uh, it is it is simply a radar system that is used to determine distance. Um, and in the C-band for 5G, it is being used or will be used as um, kind of the next phase of deployment for this new technology that we have, the fifth generation of cellular, otherwise referred to as 5G. Uh, We have had some 5G operations in the United States, primarily either repurposed spectrum, uh, which is where the 3G and 4G sites were operating. There's also some other bands that are in the gigahertz range that were used, and these are called millimeter wave. The challenge that we have is, is that millimeter wave signals carry a lot of information, but they do not travel very far. And lower frequency cellular carries well, penetrates into buildings very well, so we get indoor coverage as well as outdoor, uh, but it cannot carry as much information. Kind of in the middle of those two are what we would call the, you know, the magic band or the sweet spot, which is the mid band, and that's where C band happens to be. Um, and so this spectrum that we're you know, beginning to see come online is actually um, quite efficient at both traveling distance and also in getting into buildings, but it's also capable of carrying quite a bit of information. And so it's really key for the carriers that are deploying this C-band spectrum for them to bring it online. Um, given the amount of usage of cellular networks that we're currently seeing in the United States and have been for many years, you know, we, especially during the pandemic, we saw the usage of our cellular networks um, spike exponentially. And that was because people were home, working from home or attending school from home, uh, 
looking for information on the pandemic, uh, shopping, you know, entertaining themselves. And, and a lot of that was actually done over, over wireless networks. Uh, one of the school districts that I do some work with uh, provided 16,000 connections for their students when the schools went to a distance learning model. And over 14,000 of those connections were done with the 4G network. So you can imagine that that network is already was already somewhat overloaded as we began the pandemic, and it's just gotten worse since then. So it becomes very important for the industry to bring this up in a timely fashion, and that was one of the reasons why I believe there was a bit of conflict between the two sides. Um, the wireless industry paid quite a bit of money for access to the C-band. Um, the FCC did modeling and testing and assured everybody that there would be no problems. Um, they paid a premium to bring the network up before the 2021 holidays, in fact. Uh, and they also paid uh, money to the satellite operators to get them to vacate off of, of those frequencies. So there was quite a bit of money was spent to get this done and then to have it be stopped by what some observers re thought was a worst case presumption um, as opposed to more of an evidence-based policy making, I think was the crux of the problem. And so it's challenging to see this happening, of course. I mean, I, I'd like to believe that um, that we could have gotten through this without all the acrimony and finger pointing, uh, but you know, where we are is, I guess, where we are. I think one of the things that we need to look at is you know, C-band 5G is being used in countries all over the world. I mean, more than three dozen countries use C-band 5G. Um, and American um, air carriers fly in and out of those airports all the time and, and don't report problems with their altimeters. So, I mean, I think the real-world evidence is really what, what matters here. We have, uh, we have evidence from almost 40 countries around the world that show that C-band 5G does not impact radar altimeters. Um, but I guess uh, in the United States, we maybe maybe we're holding ourselves to a higher standard in that regard. Um, but but I don't know that it's that there's any evidence that that worst case presumption is something that we should be continuing forward. I think the evidence points the other direction. That's interesting, and that actually gets into uh, my very next question for you, which was exactly your point: is that uh, 5G C-band has been deployed in uh, several other countries. Uh, what, what's especially been highlighted by the FAA, and especially in their uh, frequently asked questions section, is that they've they've listed sort of a response that that gives you a response about why 5G C-band has been deployed in countries such as France and why it, it might be differently deployed here. Uh, let's get into that a little bit. I mean, what what is the main difference? I mean, at least what the FAA has claimed is that the possibility is that the 5G C-band that's being deployed here is transmitted at higher power levels, and that may be more difficult for an aircraft radar altimeter to uh, sort of you know filter out those signals and, and just focus on the signals that it needs to receive. Uh, any any perspective on that? Is that has that been found to be true, or just your thoughts on that? Yeah, so certainly I, I've seen the debates in this regard that have um, that have said that in the United States the power levels um, could be higher or perhaps would be higher. Um, I think 
at the end of the day, the physics is very clear on all of this. It's, you know, it's not that we, it's not that we have necessarily higher or lower power or that the antennas are, have more or less gain or that they're pointed in different directions. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that I think the challenge in this is that we don't really know how susceptible these radar altimeters are to interference. And, and that testing should really have been done in, in a cooperative fashion between the FAA and the FCC uh, and many, you know, many years ago. Uh, once once we just once the FCC decided that they were going to move forward with C-band 5G, that that testing should have begun immediately, if not if not even before that ruling, because typically we know that a ruling is coming and we know what the result of that ruling will be. So we we could have started this work quite a while ago, um, and really what we need to do is, is we need to look at the question of um, how susceptible are the, are the receivers to both interference that would be in the band. In, in other words, the frequencies that the radar is designed to receive, and how susceptible is the radar to enter to RF energy that may be in in other bands, and, and all of this is is very well predicted by the physics and the laboratory models and and the real world evidence that we can derive from testing, um, and and so we can say yes, things are different in the United States from say France, which has an exclusion zone, and and has slightly lower power levels, but that's all, that's all accountable by, by the math. Uh, what, what we really need to do is, is we really need to look at this in the context of what is, how do you model a 5G transmitter into a receiver, and are you actually measuring a 5G transmitter in simulation, or are you, are you presuming that the 5G transmitter will operate will appear on the receiver in a certain way. Um, I've read through the RTCA's report on this topic. It's, it's quite extensive and, and very dense. From what I can tell, the presumption was is that the C-band interference in the radar band, in the 4.2 to 4.4 gigahertz band that you mentioned, um, that that was done with what we term in engineering an additive white Gaussian noise model. And that probably is not the correct way to represent out-of-band interference in, in those radars. Um, and, and I say that because, one, if I were designing tests for this, I probably wouldn't have used an additive white Gaussian noise model. Um, but again, also that the real-world results don't show that level of interference. Um, we, we can look at these countries where these problems um, and are where these problems are not occurring. And, and, you know, just last week I saw that the, apparently the FAA has cleared 90% of all rat alts uh, for, for use. And so, you know, like I, I, I'm a person who flies, right? I fly for business or I fly for, fly for pleasure. My wife is just returning today from a trip. We, I mean, I want, I want to be safe and I want everyone to be safe. Uh, I understand that starting off with the worst case presumption is a prudent thing to do. You know, U.S. aviation is the safest in the world and I want it to remain safe. I'm, I have no, I mean, I have enlightened self-interest in this, right? Um, but, th but that being said, I, we have to move away from worst case presumptions and, and we, we can't 
keep going in that direction. So I think the real world evidence shows that these problems are not uh, are not occurring. I think the fact that 90% of the RADALs have now been certified shows that the worst case presumption was overly aggressive and that we begin we need to begin backing off um, from that. And, and I think you know we can look forward to more certification of, of RADALs and Perhaps we get down to the point where there are only a few adults which have problems, or, or maybe even we get to a point where we say that that there is no problem and this was all, um, you know, this was all a bit overblown. Uh, I guess that would be the having to say I'm sorry I made a mistake would probably be the optimal outcome in this in this regard. Right, you know, and it is interesting. It's 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 such a uh, sort of dynamic situation. I mean, even just Friday, January twenty eighth the FAA published this statement that they've reached a uh, technical collaborative agreement with Verizon and AT&T, which were the two wireless companies behind the uh, 5GC band deployment. Uh, one thing that they do mention there is that they're continuing to work with helicopter operators and others in the aviation community to ensure they can operate safely in, in uh, areas current and planned 5G deployment. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit as well. Um, you mentioned, you know, that maybe the ultimate long term is to say this, this was sort of overblown or, uh, you know, improperly assessed. Um, what do you think ultimately will happen long term, at least for that, you know, 10% left that still needs to be um, assessed and evaluated? And, and like I said, the, the FAA has said that they're still working with helicopter operators, at least. What ultimately does need to happen in the long term so that we can safely use the 5GC band and, you know, flight operations can kind of occur freely as they as they have been? Yeah, I, I was very happy to see that the FAA had reached had reached agreement on this. Um, uh, again, this this is a this is a point where we should have been a couple of years ago. Now, you know, we we can say, okay, that didn't happen. Let's just move forward. And I think that that's where we are today. Uh, you know, we have the helicopter operations question. Uh, we have the regional jet question. So I so I know that there are are some regional operators that are still concerned. Um, you know, we're we're I think we're working through the problem, and I say we meaning the collective we, the American people. We're we're working through this problem, and hopefully we will um, reach a result here. And and again, the you know the optimal state is is for us to say, hey, look, we were careful. You know, we were being careful. Yeah, we should have done it a couple of years ago. We didn't. Sorry about that. Um, but it looks like everything's fine. You know, you're you're <laughs> to borrow the phrase, you're now free to move about the cabin, right? Um, so I'd, I'd like to get to that point where, where we could say that this was all just uh, being maybe being a little overcautious. Um, I hope that with the new agreement that the testing can be more cooperative. Um, you know, it's maybe a truism for those of us who do work with the federal government that we kind of observe that there's interagency rivalries, you know, there's a lack of sharing of information. Um, you know, there were a lot of criticisms, for example, post-September 11th, that intelligence agencies were not sharing information with each other, with each other. and maybe we could have avoided um, something if we had been a little bit more cooperative in that regard. So I think there's a tendency in the federal government to not cooperate with other, other agencies, and this is one of those um, situations where those chickens have come home to roost. So... 
going forward, obviously, we need to test all the adults and we need to make sure that everything is uh, is good. Um, you know, that can be laboratory testing, uh, followed by limited real world testing. And, and then as we as we begin to gain confidence, we can move forward with uh, with that knowledge that, that we're not creating safety issues. Uh, you know, there is something that I, I have often argued for and something that we don't do in the United States, which, which I think directly led to this problem, which is, is that the United States does not have what other countries have in terms of what are called receiver standards. Um, in other words, in the United States, if you have a radio receiver that's susceptible to RF interference from other bands, nearby bands, um, it's kind of up to you to decide how to design it. Um, there's there's no statement that says you know you must reject inform information or energy from bands that are nearby, um, and that has led to this situation. Um, it has also led, by the way, to other situations um, where, for example, there were some proposals to do some things near the GPS band several years ago, and and those proposals ended up not moving forward because people were concerned, I think rightly so, about whether or not GPS would be affected by uh, by these other systems. But, you know, GPSs effectively have no receiver filtering, um, and so they, they have susceptibility to energy from other bands that are nearby. Um, you know, maybe going forward, I think one of the things that we need to do is, is at least for, for RADALTS, we need to have receiver standards. We need to say that if you're going to bring a rattle to market, it needs to reject signals from bands outside the rattle band by a certain amount in order to ensure that you're not being impacted by whether it's C-band 5G or military radar or, or something that we haven't even conceived yet. And, you know, it could come 20 years down the line. We, we could have um, a reshuffling of spectrum and we may have to go through this. So I, I hope that we will design good receivers now and in the future for radar altimeters that, that will not be susceptible uh, to these problems. And, and that that is a matter of policy and, and um, ruling by the federal agencies is something that, that, we, that we do. That is interesting. I, I wasn't aware. So, so we do not have the type of receiver standards that are present maybe in other countries. Like, for example, does Europe or, you know, countries in Europe do have the type of receiver standards that, that we don't have that may, that may have ultimately, uh, you know, handled this situation a little bit better? Yeah, other countries do have receiver standards. I mean, it really kind of depends widely upon which country you're talking about. Um, as, as to how stringent those standards are, but, but it is something that we do not have. Um, you know, and so in the past, as I mentioned earlier, you know, radar altimeter was protected by the, basically the allocation, meaning that around the radar altimeter band was a series of services that were not going to emit energy into the radar altimeter band. So the receivers didn't have to be very well designed and of course that keeps costs down and, and there's some economic incentive to uh, to do that to do it that way so you know who would design a receiver to reject signals in say 1995 
in the C-band because in 1995, the C-band was used for TV reception from satellites. It, it would have been an engineer who, who did that design probably would have been fired to, to be fair, right? I mean, no one would have done that because no one, no one predicted that this spectrum shuffling would re, would occur. Uh, and so now we have the situation where, okay, the, there's, there's more and more information being transmitted over wireless networks. You know, there's, there's a limited amount of spectrum Spectrum's like dirt. I mean, there's a certain amount of it and, and we're not going to get any more, right? So we have to make use of the spectrum that we have more efficiency. And, and you know, more than 10 years ago, the Congress decided to direct the federal government to find ways to be more efficient in, in our use of spectrum. Um, I believe it was um, uh, Kerry, uh, John Kerry and Waxus. Congressman Waxman, if I remember correctly, uh, they they had put forth bills that basically directed the U.S. government to find ways to effectively use use more spectrum for more services. Um, so this is kind of a direct outcome of of those uh, of those bills that occurred over a decade ago, and it is, I think, more and more we're seeing this case where receiver standards a lack of receiver standards is causing problems. Um, and and I, 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 I don't expect that this is the last time that we'll see this, to, to be fair. I think going forward, we as we make more efficient use of spectrum, we will need to mitigate around receiver issues in the future. So I, I hope going forward that the, um, you know, the federal government is looking at this and maybe coming to some conclusions that we we do need to look at having receiver standards, at least in some services in the United States. And, and maybe ideally at some point we get to the point where there are receiver standards in all services. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on the Apple iOS podcast app or any smartphone or tablet podcasting application. Feel free to rank and comment on our podcast as well to let us know how we can improve. It also helps others find the podcast. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Connected Aviation Intelligence Podcast.